time. I spend the entirety of the time in prayer. Lord, get me through this. Uh, get me through this today. So it is good to see you guys this morning. If you're a guest with us, my name's Chad Poe, and I am uh, the uh, new teaching pastor here at Grace Bible. It is an honor to be with you. I would love to meet you after the service. Uh, we're still getting to know each other, so jump right in, and we'll get to know you too. So uh, look, I, I'm a reader. I used to be a m more of a reader than I am now. I am enamored by certain books. I also like movies. I would imagine that you like movies. And I am a history major. That's what I was in college. So all of those things together cause me to think through phrases and statements from certain points in history, certain points in fiction, certain points in movies, which are usually also fiction. Things that stand out to you, statements that don't go away, statements that stick with you, intended things in those movies, in those books for you to remember. But for every quote in a movie that we have memorized, there are numerous quotes that have just as much power that we have not memorized. The thing is, we will not always recognize them if they are out of the context from which we find them. Let me give you some quotes from very popular movies, books, and speeches. And we'll see if you know what they are from. You sort of start thinking anything is possible if you've got enough nerve. Anyone? Jenny Weasley, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. If you do not know who Harry Potter is, the next number of years of our lives, we're going to get to know that together. <laughs> Three weeks from now, I will be harvesting my crops. Imagine where you will be, and it will be so. Anyone? Gladiator. Gladiator. That's really strong. That's good. Not the most recognizable quote, but it's there. How about this one? It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. That is a piece of the Gettysburg Address. All of these things have meaning and value in and of themselves, but they have that meaning and value, and it's even more important because of that where we find them. When you open your Bible, a lot of times, we're, if we're not careful, we find ourselves looking to a scripture passage and looking and simply reading it for the sake of reading it. And we even have books and bullet points that tell us this is what the Bible says about this topic or that topic. And there are numerous passages that we read and that we hear from. And when we hear them, we know that they exist in and of themselves. But we miss somehow, in some way, that they're part of something that's bigger. The salt and light passage of the Sermon on the Mount is one of those. There's much to be said here from Jesus about what it means for us to be salt and light. But to understand it in full, we have to read it in light of the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. I think the Bible is the only book in the world where we can just pull one piece of it, read it, and call it a day. But when we look into scriptures and we see what Jesus says in Matthew 5 verses 13 through 16, we, if you were with us last week, you see how that is coming out of a previous teaching. 
a continual line of thought. An idea that Jesus wants to permeate us, not simply as we are salt and we are light, but because we realize that we are salt and light as a result of something else. So last week we kept talking about the word blessed and how that means that you have been given a deep God-given joy. You've been given a deep God-given joy when you are poor in spirit. Why? Because when Jesus is theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You have been given a deep God-given joy when you mourn because you will be comforted. You have been given a deep God-given joy when you are meek because you will inherit the earth. And then we see the transition You've been given God's deep joy when you hunger and thirst for righteousness because you will be satisfied. God's deep joy has been given to you when you show mercy because you will also receive mercy. God's deep joy has been given to those of us who are pure in heart for they will see God. God's deep joy is for those of us who are peacemakers for we will be called the sons of God, daughters too. God's deep joy has been given to those of us who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For ours is the kingdom of heaven. God's deep joy is for all of those when they revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Have joy over and over and over and over and over and over and be glad. For your reward is great and it's in heaven. So coming out of that, Jesus has been talking about a people and a people who have an identity. You are God's deep joy people. And then he says, you're the salt of the earth. Because you've been given God's deep joy, you're going to be functioning in the world in a very unique, specific way. You are the salt of the earth. Now, we're salt people. Uh, I'm from Tennessee. Some of you are from Texas. If you've been anywhere south of the Mason-Dixon line, you have realized the importance of salt. We like salt a lot. The thing is, for us and our understanding of the importance of salt, and for the world that Jesus teaches to and the importance of salt, those are two very distinct things. While salt has a secondary effect as something that offers flavor in Jesus' day, its primary reason for being used was it was a preservative. It was to delay rot. So, I have four kids at my house and our um, two boys, nine, six, those are our older two. We have a, a little baby who, or he's almost... Oh man, he's 21 months old. This stuff flies by. So, and then we have a little girl named Magnolia. Magnolia, we call her Noli. You'll meet her if you've not met her already. She is, shall we say, not shy. And where we moved from, we, she had a little friend who, had, who was one year younger than her, almost to the, the day. They were really close, thick as thieves, and they liked to play together in our backyard. And the thing about our backyard was there was a door where you could get to our garage from it. And there would be times where these girls would come into our garage and they would play. One day, Hope walks into the garage where we have numerous things. We have a treadmill that I use to hang my clothes on. We have... 
We had ladders in there. We had a storage unit up top. That, that just a small, small garage. Uh, there was an old refrigerator. And then there was a deep freeze. So just so that I know you're with me and, and you know how a deep freeze works. How many of you have a deep freeze in some portion of your home? Anybody? Wonderful. The deep freeze was used to store certain things. Frozen things, like Elsa. So we have all of our deep freeze items in, and we had just purchased some meat from a farmer in the area. Everything in the deep freeze. Hope walks out one day, looks into the garage, and she sees a puddle that covers our garage. Just this pool of water and melted pineapple and all of this water. And she calls me to come and, and observe her work on it. And when I get there, I'm, I'm looking and we begin to process how did we get from where we were to here? Well, come to find out, Noli and her little friend had been playing in the garage and her little friend had turned off the deep freeze. And I say her little friend because my kid doesn't do any wrong. And she had turned off the deep freeze and we look and just a mess there. What do we do? We throw everything away because what had been in the freezer wasn't worth anything anymore. Jesus didn't have a deep freeze. There was no Maytag or Frigidaire or whatever company that you choose to use. The way that they preserved meat was with salt. Lots and lots of salt. It wasn't a salt that you just sprinkled on your tortilla chips. It was rubbed in. It was completely uh, immersed in salt so that this meat would last longer. And Jesus in this passage is saying to those who have met him and encountered his deep blessing, you are the salt of the earth. And when we really jump into the syntax and the understanding of words in the passage, in the original language, he literally says to those who have been receiving or who have received God's deep joy, you and you alone are the salt of the earth. You and you alone have been placed here for preservation purposes. You and you alone are to offset the decay of the world in which we live. You and you alone. And this context moves 2,000 years forward. And Jesus says to us now, you and you alone are... You've been placed here to preserve the world. I've given you into this world so that you would uniquely display that you've encountered a God who is real and true. You and you alone. You've been put here, placed here, where you are. Look, it's no coincidence that you live here. 
It's no coincidence that I live here. Whether you're, you're a native or, or you've moved here from some other place so that you can work at one of the various industries that's here. It was not a shock to God that you got here. God did not say, oh my me, how did that one show up? <laughs> Scriptures say in Acts 17 that he's determined the exact time and place for each of us. That he has put you where you are, when you are, why you are for eternal purposes. You and you alone. So, so just a little bit as to the story of, of the last nine months, six months of my life. I get an email from Jared Manning, the our, and minister of everything here at Grace Bible, and asking if I was interested in sending my resume. And I did not see it for a week because it got lost in my inbox. Uh, the, a, a week later, I eventually see said email when Jared calls the friend who had recommended me and said, hey, could you get in touch with this guy if he wants to think about this? So Jared and I have a phone call that day. Like, I'll be real with you. Um, I am not a millennial. Sometimes I think like one, sort of. I'm kind of Gen X. Can I get an amen, Billy Connor? Where you at? So that, that, that's who I am. So I don't like to text back and forth all the time. Eventually, if, if we're in a long enough text conversation, I'm going to call you. Because I want to get this done. So I called Jared and we began to have a conversation. He, and he said, hey, I'm at a church in Lake Jackson, Texas. And I said, where? So I Google it and I immediately see that it's south of Houston. I explained to a friend of mine that this church is south of Houston. He said, in the ocean? <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, we begin to process what this would look like and I'm asking all of these questions about the area because I think it's important to know what you're considering and he lets me know what, where many of you work and he lets me know how some of you have moved here from other parts of the country and honestly you work in businesses where people have moved from all over the world to be here No coincidence if you're a believer. And for those of us who are not believers, and I'll be real with you, some of you aren't believers. There's research that I read this morning that 25% of people who claim to be Christians do not believe in a literal resurrection. That is untrue. You are not a Christian if you do not believe in a literal resurrection. So we, we get together. So back to where I was. So uh, I'm researching the area. I'm looking at who God brings here. The first time I show up, I hear accents that I did not expect to hear in Texas or a lack of accents. Seeing that God's brought you here. You rub shoulders with people every day who have no idea what a life that follows Jesus looks like. You were placed when you are, why you are, for God-given purposes. So I began to think and pray and, and process what it would look like to be here and what it would look like to be at a church where there is potential 
to see non-believers converted who may eventually be sent all over the country and possibly the world. And to be at a church where there are believers that I'm able to be part of, of equipping and discipling to possibly and potentially be sent all over the world. You are the salt of the earth and in this room and in this little area that God has given us, there is potential for global advancement. Because you and you alone, those of us who have been given God's deep joy are the salt of the earth. So we begin to think through little things like Easter. It's kind of a big deal. My prayer is that in some interaction over the last week or so, you thought about bringing someone to church with you on Easter who may not have a relationship with Jesus or may be deactive in said relationship with Jesus. We can work through that with them. You and you alone. So what should we do as salt and light? What should you be as the salt of the earth? We should be available. And honestly, there may be moments for you when you're having faith conversations with people where you don't know what to say or how to say it. Let me just encourage you, go with what you know. And if all that you know is that the message that you hear here from songs on Sunday, the message that, that is echoed when you're in your life groups on whenever your life group meets, the message that I hope that I clearly communicate every, when I preach on Sundays, if all that you know is there's hope in that, please feel free to invite someone to be part of worship with you. Maybe you feel more equipped, and that's great. Our goal is for all of us to do, be that. But go with what you know. Bring people to church with you. We want people to worship with you because we want people to experience the God that you say that you've experienced. We want us to stand together every Sunday and worship God together. And for us to say, when I raise my hands and, and lift my eyes to the heavens and open God's word, that this is not something that I do out of simple root practice, but I believe that I'm encountering the living God of the universe. And if we're not saying that, we need to process some stuff. You and you alone are the salt of the earth. But, but what about when it goes bad? Let's look. But if, a salt has, if salt has lost its taste, how will it be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. The thing about salt is it doesn't lose its taste. There was a process of dilution that could, would be used with salt in Jesus' day where people would dilute salt with various other things that looked like salt. As a matter of fact, uh, I, our coffee crew this morning was sending this text thread and I, and I heard that we were uh, running low on sugar and I said, dilute it with salt. Uh, <laughs> nobody will know. Uh, <laughs> give that to the regulars. Uh, so... <laughs> 
But in scriptures, the dilution of salt was pretty prevalent. Like it was. And whenever that would happen, they would use various other items to mix in with the salt to spread it thinner. It would not work the same way. So the baby, older, he's 21 months old. Am I right, Hope? Am I right? Something. He's fourth kid. He might be seven. So... Alder, so we'll be at the table for dinner. And we don't let our kids drink a lot of uh, cola. Uh, we don't let them drink really any. Uh, we, we don't let them drink much besides water. But from time to time, they will see that I have an unsweet tea or a semi-sweet tea or sometimes fully leaded tea. But they will see that and, and they'll want, so we'll say, give them a little treat of ordering some tea. So we'll order it for the three bigs, Right. So Charlie, Shepherd, Magnolia, they get kid tea. Alder sees that, but we don't want to give him fully loaded tea because it's basically the equivalent of cocaine when you're that age, and I don't need him to be running around crazy. So uh, we, if that offends you, we're going to have a long time together. So, uh, so what we'll do is we'll take his sippy cup and we'll open it, and we will the water that's in there. We'll pour a little bit of tea in it. Will dilute it. Barely any really is in there though. You can't even taste it when you drink it. If my grown self is to drink from his sippy cup, all that you taste is water. It looks like tea, but it's not. Jesus in this passage, when he's talking about the idea of it no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled out, he's saying there is the possibility that believers will be so diluted by everything else that their saltiness will not seem to be working. So we ask ourselves, what am I diluting my life with? Am I diluting my life with obsessions with various political stances? Am I diluting my life with, and we could make a long laundry list of things that could dilute us. Are we so diluted by arguments and interactions that are unhealthy that is causing us not to function the way that we are intended to function as salt. You and you alone are salt. The primary purpose of salt is to stop decay and preserve. How is your life when you are being obedient preserving? Jesus then gives another illustration out of the same family, same structure. You and you alone are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. It's there. It's elevated. Everyone who looks in that general direction, they see it. The city can't hide itself. It's right there. As believers, you have been placed in a unique spot in that God has elevated you, lifted you. You're right there. You cannot be hidden. So they get to see the good. They get to see the bad. They get to see everything. You're the light of the world. The thing is, though, we have to put some context with this. Because Jesus says in another place that he's the light of the world. Do we have two lights? 
there was a festival of illumination that was part of the, the celebration of illumination, which rhymes. That's a great preaching point. At what's called the Feast of Tabernacles. And at this, there were these four massive golden candelabra that were uh, on the edges of the temple. And they were as large as the temple. And when they were lit, they lit up the entirety of the temple. And some would say they lit up Jerusalem as a whole. They were lights that could be seen. And, and you had grown men, religious leaders, with instruments... And, and wine dancing around them. It's like a Friday night barn party. And they would dance around these things to celebrate a very specific action of God from the book of Exodus. Where God delivered the children of Israel by a pillar of fire at night. And by a pillar, by a cloud during the day. The celebration of illumination was the Jewish people once a year gathering together and saying, God, you took care of us. Jesus and the disciples are leaving said party. Look over at these men dancing before this. And they say, or Jesus says to them, I'm the light of the world. Which is super loaded and here's why. They would have this celebration every single year. They would dance this dance every single year. Bring the instruments every single year. They would have this party every year. Jesus looks and he says, hey, every single year they've been having this party. And that party's about me. I'm the reason for this. You are the light of the world. But Jesus just said that he's the light of the world. Do these two things tie together? Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 about a world that's pretty similar this he says do all things without grumbling or disputing this to believers at the church of Philippi that you may be children that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world but then he continues, there's another phrase we have to grab onto. As you hold fast to the word of life. You will shine as a light in the world as you hold on to the word of life. The, the word for hold on to there means you cling to firmly. So you as a believer will shine as God's light as you cling firmly to the word of life. So uh, how does this work for us? How do we understand this? There's this place called Walmart. You've probably heard of it. They sell everything. And in the toy section and ironically in the automotive section, you can find uh, some things to help your kids deal with their fear of the dark. And I would imagine you've had a kid be afraid of the dark at some point. And uh, there you, as a parent, you've got two options when a kid's afraid of the dark. Option one is a nightlight. There's a problem with nightlights. Because no matter what time of night it is, that kid sees said lie and thinks to themselves, oh, it's time to go wake them up. And they'll come tap you on the shoulder and you're just looking at them more angrily than you should. Because when I get woken up at three in the morning, I'm barely a Christian. <laughs> Your other option is to go and to pick up these stars. 
These stars are, like as I said, they're in the toy section where the jacks are. They're in the automotive section where the car scent things are. And there's a little square of sticky stuff that you can put on the back. And you put them on the ceiling. You've got to be careful not to say roof when you tell this because they would help nothing on the roof. But you put them on the ceiling and all day long at night they, they, they glow. But they don't glow a light that's inside of them. They glow a light that comes from outside of them. Because all day long as you turn your lights on, turn your lights off. They're absorbing. Absorbing, absorbing, absorbing. Because there's no light within them. What they shine when the lights are off is a light that they have absorbed. This light, that light, because there's no light that's really here. But the reason that these are helpful for your children is when the lights are down at night, the longer that these things are away from real light, the less they glow, the more dim they become. This passage says we shine Paul coming alongside of Jesus because Paul and Jesus are on the same side. It says you will shine as a light in the world as you cling firmly to the word of life. Jesus says that you are the light of the world because he is the light of the world. And the way that our lives line up with God's mission for us is pretty simple. If we want to live a life that impacts and affects our world for the sake of Jesus, then cling to Jesus. Because the longer that we spend time away from him, the more dim our lives will become. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. That's a song. You should have recognized it. But on a stand... And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Are we clinging to Jesus? Are we choosing not to have impurities fused with us so that we will preserve the way that Jesus intends? Because the source for all that we are and the source for all that we do is what Jesus says in verse 17. Which is where we'll spend our Easter Sunday next week. But Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, I've come to fulfill them. I've come to make them complete. Oh, well, what's Jesus saying here? Well, you're the salt of the earth. And you're the light of the world. You're salt in that you don't exist for yourself because salt doesn't exist for itself. You're light in that you shine because the world is dark. But the source for us to function in either one of these ways properly is for us to hold fast to this truth. That Jesus has come to complete the law. How will he do that? The entirety of the Old Testament tells a story of sacrifice. It's on every page. And as Jesus, as the Old Testament tells the story of people turning to the blood of bulls and goats, and for the, those who are even more impoverished, turning to the, to the blood of 
animal, of, of birds. All that sacrifice has been taking us to the source story of Jesus that he is going to fulfill this in full. So that when Jesus would spread his arms on the cross, when Jesus would, uh, would take the piercing of his side while there, when Jesus was bloodied and beaten, when Jesus offered himself up as a sacrifice for us, in full, shed blood, as he says to the disciples at the Passover, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. When Jesus fulfilled those things on the cross, it made it so that all of the things that he's called us to in 13 through 16 are fully possible. That you can function as God's people because of what God has done on your behalf. And if we don't start there, then we can be as salty as we'd like in our own opinions or as nice as we want to be if there is no source for that. The broken body and shed blood of Jesus as he fulfills all law and all prophets, then our goodness is worthless and our light is dark. But because of what he's offered us, because of how he has allowed us to meet with him, because of his sacrifice, we can be sacrificial. Because of he as real light, we can illuminate his light. Because of his eternal preservation, we can temporarily preserve while we're here. Because we are the people of God, empowered by God for the purposes of God. So what's going to happen right now is this. I want you just to bow your heads. And the band's going to come and, and they're going to get in place. And then during our next song, we're going to take communion as a church family. But I would ask for this to happen as the plate passes in front of you. One of the trickiest things that we do as Christians is communion because we do it in a way that takes God for granted. What we celebrate in this is God's eternal impact on us. What we are going to acknowledge when we drink this, of this cup, when we take of this bread, is the same thing that we acknowledge when we are baptized that Jesus has made himself known to us and that we can know him in response. So before you put your juice down because that's what we have historically done and before you eat your oyster cracker because that's what we think we're supposed to do, I want you to take a moment and thank God that because of Jesus you can be preservative. You can be a salt. Because of Jesus, you can be light. Lord, we thank you for today. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we find in it. God, over our church family today, I pray that we have heard from you. God, I pray they've heard a better sermon than the one that I preached. I pray that you... I pray that our, our song, God, will declare that you are, are worthy, that you matter that we value you. 
Lord, as we take of this bread, as we, as we drink of this cup, Jesus, show us yourself. As the band plays, you feel free to take your bread and your cup as the Lord leads you.